0: Hello and welcome to Decoding Cancer from the Irish Cancer Society, the series that aims to answer your cancer questions. We're delighted to be back with you again for a second series. My name is Dr. Robert O'Connor, Director of Research with the Irish Cancer Society. And over the next six episodes, I'll be welcoming guests with experience of and expertise in a range of cancer related topics. We'll be discussing everything from immunotherapy and the role of nutrition and exercise in cancer care. The famous Irish cancer research breakthroughs you may never have heard of, and how our furry friends are helping us to unlock the secrets of skin cancer and melanoma. Keep an eye on Irish Cancer Society social media channels, including Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, where we'll be releasing new episodes each Tuesday over the next six weeks. And please do feel free to comment with the hashtag decoding cancer to share and let us know what you would like to hear discussed in future episodes. For the first episode of the series, we're taking a look at what people who are or have been affected by cancer can do to improve their quality of life and treatment outcome through nutrition and exercise. To help me tease out this important topic, we've gone all the way to Scotland to reach out to someone who I know has some fascinating insight to share. So we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Susan Moog, a consultant colorectal and general surgeon at the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Paisley, Glasgow. Joining us also is Neve Fortune, who, having been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2017, has gone on to become a fantastic patient advocate for the Irish Cancer Society. And she'll be telling us a bit about her own recovery journey and the role that exercise and nutrition has played in this. So it's great to have you both here to kick off season two of the podcast. Thanks a million. Thanks so much. And and Neve, I'll start with you, uh, if that's okay. Perhaps you might share uh, with us a bit about your own story over the last four years. Uh, and I suppose you've been documenting that as well across your me after C um, blog, uh, including maybe you might mention the part you feel that exercise has played in your own recovery.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, thanks for having me again. Um, so, as like you said, I I got diagnosed with uh, non Hodgkin's lymphoma back in April two thousand and seventeen. I was probably the fittest and healthiest I'd felt I I had ever been. I was exercising regularly. I was eating well. And I got a pain in my shoulder, which I put it down to basically a gym injury. I thought I just pulled a muscle, as as we all do. Um, And that basically went on for probably three or four weeks, but progressively got worse. And I was still going to the gym. I was still training. I was still Doing my everyday to day thing, working and everything. And, but the pain was getting progressively worse. And then it moved into my chest. And I was, um, finding it hard to breathe and getting very out of breath when I was even walking up the stairs. And um, so I ended up going into, by the, the push and shove by my other half, thank God, I went into AE Easter weekend 2017. And I was very quickly, um, in the space of a week, diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I, I, it was, it was like somebody had pulled a rug from under my whole entire life. I, I never expected that diagnosis to come onto my doorstep, especially at thirty-one. Um, I, 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 it was something that I never thought would w- those words would be said to me. Um, so yeah, now thankfully, I went through six months of treatment. It was very, um, treatment itself was very straightforward. It was chemo, radiation. And thankfully, I got through that with no hiccups. And I'm now nearly four years in remission. So that's all great news um on that side of things. But I suppose looking at it from what I did, like exercise and nutrition has always been quite important to me. It, even growing up, I was I started in a running club when I was like my mom put myself and my sister in at that local running club and we were like seven or eight just to kind of get us out running around the the fields that were around our house. Um, So exercise has always been quite uh, a poignant part of my life but since probably since about 2015 I really kind of went kind of focused on exercise to to make myself feel better and to kind of live a little bit of a healthier lifestyle and when I, I I'm w- I'm in a gym in in my local area in Kilcool called NikaFit Fit, and uh, one of my one of my close friends is the is co owner of it. And when I got diagnosed, obviously I, I was t- I was telling people, and they were very forthcoming with, okay, what can we do? What can we do? What can exercise do to to help you kind of get through this? And it was something that my that she said, um, her name's Katie, and she said to me um when I was telling her about my diagnosis. She said to me, she, I was, I was obviously questioning it. Why me? Why did it happen? I just I'm, I'm healthy, I'm fit, I'm I'm young, I just don't understand. And you know, all those kind of questions that you go through after getting that news. And she said to me, and it's it's kind of always stuck with me, she said. Your training and your exercise and what you've been doing and working on making your body strong for the last two years is may, was maybe working towards making sure that you're strong enough now to fight this and get this, get through this basically, and making your body strong enough to take on this challenge. And I really believe that, and it was only when she said it to me, I really believe that it was something that my body was built to help me overcome. And it really did, it really stood to me, I think. It, it really stood to how I, how I overcame it and how, I suppose, I felt through treatment. My, my body kind of, I suppose, was, was strong and rigorous enough to say, okay, this, this treatment is horrific, it's tearing you down, but I'm here, I've got you kind of thing. If that makes sense,
0: and when you say felt, yeah, do you mean like felt both sort of physically as well as kind of emotionally, or or in your head, or what do you mean by felt?
1: Yeah, I felt physically and and emotionally when I was going through when I was going through treatment. So in that six months, I kind of felt like I'd blinkers on. So I was like, right, I have this six month path to to get through my chemo and my radiation, and. I felt like I was saying to my body and to my mind, "Okay, we've got this. This is our challenge. We need to get through it. We need to we need to get to the end of this six months. And once we're there, then we we're, we're kind of out of the woods." Now, I suppose that was naive of me a little bit to think that once the six months finishes, that you're out of the woods, because it was I suppose it was more so then that I that the struggle for me really started. Um, after the treatment, it was the I had that I had that adamant, uh, I suppose, stubborn mind frame of when I was in treatment to say no, my I've got this, both body and mind. We are strong enough to get through this, and this is what we're focusing on. But once treatment finished, that resilience, I suppose, was was what I needed to work on after after the fact.
0: I might move over to Susan then. And, and Susan, it's always great to be able to reach out to our international colleagues to contribute um, their findings and perspectives on, on topics of shared interest um, in, in Ireland, in, in, in Europe and, and the wider cancer community. And, and particularly so with our Celtic cousins just to, over the Irish Sea. So a big Kate, me the to, you, um, to our podcast. Um, so uh, when I think of a surgeon, I think of someone performing an operation to take anything out that shouldn't be there sort of fixing up the plumbing that remains and and maybe stitching me up, job done or whatever. But you're not that kind of surgeon. So maybe tell us, why is a renowned surgeon on a podcast with us talking about the contributions of activity and food to to good cancer outcome. (sighs)
2: You're ve- you're very kind, but I do think you just called me a plumber. But then plumbers probably earn a lot more money than um, what I do now. So that's probably a very good compliment, and,
0: and possibly have more regular hours. Yeah, hours as yeah, and well. probably
2: maybe done a bit better during COVID. Maybe um, so. There's maybe some plus points. Um, no, thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm interested, I guess, in exercise because it's a little bit like what Neve said. I've always done exercise myself. Um, I did sports science before I went into medicine. And my project in sports science actually was looking at exercising patients with ankylosing spondylitis, which is a chronic um, was a chronic condition, but mainly affects their back and their movement. And I exercised these patients in hydrotherapy pools and did some you know, before and after measurements, and I saw a difference. And I have to say, I think that's something, when you see that in front of you and you see the difference, you can see what, in this case, exercise can do for patients. And I think that's probably something that's just ran into surgery for me. I think you or Neve very kindly mentioned there that surgery is is one option. It's a big hit, but as Neve particularly said, that's one time and place for one time and place of treatment. And I think it's hard to convey sometimes to patients that this is a very prolonged process and there's so many steps. And you're individuals and there might be different steps for different individuals that you don't want to overwhelm the patient. But I feel as if you give them perhaps something to focus on and for Neve, that's been exercise which is great and if we do that and we do it alongside nutrition and psychological support I would hope that that gives patients because not all of them will want this but I hope it gives them the opportunity to feel empowered or even just engaged in their own process or their own treatment which I think can be very important but again maybe Neve would be a, you know more insightful in relation to that.
0: And and when I first met you uh, at a, a, a conference, uh, you were talking about um, specifically prehab in, in your colorectal um, clinic, and and I suppose we maybe will spend a little bit of time dissecting exercise as well. And, and I suppose for some like Neve, exercise is a, you know a very focused might be gym activity or whatever. I, I myself I tend to see exercise more as activity and, and moving and, and stuff like that. Uh, as well. So it can mean different things to different people, but it can also have different interventions uh, at, at different times. So maybe it starts out with that sort of prehab and what it means, what its relevance in terms of the cycle. If I was to come to you today and we were sitting down and you give me the, the difficult news that, uh, I, you know, I have a bowel cancer. So why is it important? What What is it and, and what's its contribution to the overall um, outcome that you might expect from me?
2: So I think In a nutshell, it's hugely important to give the patient the opportunity for prehab. So it's been defined in various kind of settings, but basically encompasses the three main components, which is nutrition, physical activity or exercise and psychological support or extra input if that's required. So if you come into my clinic today, which I hope you don't um, and you get a diagnosis in that room is the cancer nurse specialist. Now, I'm mentioning her because you know what that role is. But what Jenny, for example, would do is immediately start the conversation in relation to we need to get you in good shape for your surgery if that's what's the next step. So we're not, you know, saying you're starting to run marathons or anything but the culture's there, Jenny's starting the conversation and then what I would do at the end of my going through everything with the surgery is we stop, we have a quick breath and then the patient goes next door with their family or supporter and speaks to Ruth who is running the prehab clinic right next door to mine. So Ruth then does some very basic measurements, um, sit to stand, just some strength stuff, grip strength, takes lots of details down and then she would give hopefully an individualised exercise or activity prescription. Now Ruth works direct- directly for local council um, exercise groups and also um, works with Macmillan. So she's got access to all different options for patients which can include um, some cognitive behavioural input because all our team are CBT trained, courtesy of Macmillan, thank you very much. Um, but also there's a whole range of exercise and activity that goes from something simple like gardening or even more intense walking, depending on your frailty level or your age, up to exercise classes, one in the hospital, one in the community. And we just, we take it from there. Nutrition, I have to be honest and say, we're not awesome at. We do need more dietetics input, but colorectal cancer, most patients arrive in okay nutrition shape. So cancer, cachexia is perhaps not as common as what it was years ago with bowel screening. But then they would go to Ruth, they get their prescription. And then they go away from there. But I think the key thing is it is important. You have to have all your team on board because it's not just use alone voice. Otherwise the culture won't change. And Ruth sitting next door, so she kind of becomes the teachable moment. She kind of becomes when the door opens, she just goes to Ruth and patients just have to see that this is something we really want to offer them.
0: And and what you know, what, what kind of benefits do you expect? And what drives you as a team to be offering this to, to um to the people that you see?
2: If you look at the research literature, we can certainly get patients fitter, so that's aerobically. We can get them stronger, so anaerobically too. We can do that just before they take the big, big hit. Of surgery, because surgery is a big hit. So, as Neve said earlier, it's just like a short burst of some big treatment, but then you've got the aftermath afterwards. And I think that can be even more important for surgical patients who can can come in fairly okay, do their prehab, do their motivation, understand that this is part of the process, but also continue those thoughts and those processes through surgery with enhanced recovery after surgery programs and then into the rehab setting that Neve described as well. Can we make them better? We can make them fitter, we can make them psychologically stronger. Do we have better surgical outcomes? It's there in the literature, but it's not an absolute given at the moment. but these are difficult difficult interventions to do. so I think the evidence will come through.
0: Um, and when you say surgical outcomes, maybe to turn that into um, other language people understand like there there are risks and it's it's not just the cancer but you know people can have strokes or heart attacks or other things. so is, is it in that sort yeah. of sector as well as, as as the the opportunity for the operation and you know other things infections and so on.
2: Yeah, totally. So I guess you're quite right there. So we haven't got any evidence yet that prehab can change the the patient's makeup or fitness before surgery. That then means they weren't a candidate for surgery before, but they've got that well, you know, they've got that so much better that now we can offer them surgery. But that's a very interesting area, though. That would be great. Um, but surgical outcomes really are length of stay can we get you out of hospital quicker but with that not so much that we're booting you out the front door but more that you've recovered quicker you've got your quality of life back quicker can you drive can you go back to work quicker all these sort of things never mind your cardiac and your lung conditions which hopefully are lowish with colorectal surgery but if you get them however low the percentage risk is it's you that's affecting directly and as you say strokes heart attacks pneumonias these are the kind of commoner ones.
0: Um, I might go back to to neve now, as we've touched on on earlier in terms of your own experience with exercise. You seem to have taken a very open minded approach um you do your gym. You're running. You even braved the Irish Sea for for our own fundraiser for a Splash a Day in in, in May. Uh, I was in my dry suit um, doing it. I have to say, so so fair dues. Uh, and we've discussed that uh, some people might feel intimidated by the very word exercise. I think maybe when you're younger, or you know, you talked about the the family support, etc. But quite a lot of people affected by cancer may be older or. They just, mm. you know, they they don't, you know, even personally, I, I, I'm not mad keen on the gym type of aspect. Yeah. So, what would your advice be to them in, in regards to, you know, getting active and and so on?
1: Um, so like, my, like the way I look at exercise is, and I suppose it's changed as well since getting sick, is that I would have been the gym is, I suppose, what what my niche is, what I enjoy, but. Exercise really can, like you've mentioned before, Rob, it can really be anything. Like it can be running, walking, cycling. Swimming, like there's so many people now, especially during lockdown. Yeah, I think lockdown. Susan threw in the
0: gardening. Yeah, the, um, gardening the gardening. There. Exactly. We have a lot of avid gardeners yeah, here. Yeah, like walking
1: yeah. your dog. <laughs> like I love now going out for an hour with my little doggy and just kind of walking around the little village that I live in, especially during lockdown you, you when we had the five kilometer um, radius that we couldn't go outside. You're kind of... Exploring new areas that you live in where that you probably would have taken for granted beforehand when you could have gone that little bit farther. So even just something as simple as that. Um, it could be dancing. It could be just, just, I think to me now, exercise just means movement and any kind of movement I can do for my body that makes it feel that little bit better. That makes it feel that little bit more alive. I suppose for me, that is, like I said, it is going to the gym. It's what I enjoy the most. It's, it's where I feel it's my safe place. It's my little haven, I suppose. It's where I can go for an hour, three times a week and forget everything else. Like when I was in, when I was in treatment, it was yoga. I did, obviously I wasn't going to the gym when I was in treatment because my body wasn't able for it, but I still went in and I did some soft, gentle yoga and it just was my body moving. And it was an hour, maybe twice a week, even at that stage where I just could kind of forget and just be me again. And now then that's, that, that's now moved on again back to, to, to being in the gym. But again, it's the same when I'm out walking. It's the same when I, I bought a bike last summer and sometimes I go out for 10 or 15 minutes on my bike, just literally a nice, easy cycle around just to get some fresh air. And I think that when people think of the word exercise, they do tend to think of the, the gym and the, the, I suppose the intimidating, large commercial gyms that you can sometimes see and that can put yeah. people all, all off. those
0: mirrors on the walls. Yeah, cetera, where, yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. And God, I, I hate that as well. Like I'm so thankful that the gym I'm in doesn't have mirrors because I don't even like to see my face <laughs> when I'm trying to lift a heavy weight. But yeah, that's it. Like people have that, um, image in their head of that's what exercise is, but no one size fits all. And it's to find what's good for you and to kind of, I suppose, what feeds your soul and that gives you that happy, Endorphins.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's funny because um, I, I, Susan has some some great advocates, people that that she's worked with in, in, in her clinic and that, and, and they bring their dogs along and, and stuff like that. Mm. And I've seen this in some of our our funded so the the amazing people that that support us, we support research in these areas. And I suppose Susan touched on a point there that people often feel well, but it's quite important to establish the evidence base so we know say the types of exercise and there are different types and they mm. can they can impact different muscle groups and that and also how they integrate and we've had some great projects up with um colleagues uh mary grace kelly and janice richmond up in donegal um looking at that we've had uh, collaborations with uh, trinity college st james cancer institute there and, and some of the physios there so uh, it sounds like you're you're a strong advocate of it and we're also complementing that with trying to provide the evidence and, and I suppose the honing um, and, and that 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 maybe Susan has spoken about that, that we we need to to support that evidence base
1: yeah and like I, f- I feel that what Susan was saying earlier on about that when you get that diagnosis and you go and you speak to the nurse and um, the nurse specialist and you're speaking about both the physical aspects and the psychological aspects Um, I know Susan was specifically talking about surgical uh, patients but I think that that's a really important point for everybody to take on board for even non-surgical patients as well because I know when I went into when I got my diagnosis and now every, every single person, every single medical person that I came across and still come across now to this day are fantastic and I owe them my life but I do believe that if We had that same, I suppose, focus on exercise and the psychological side of it is something that I suppose is quite close to my heart. But if you have that focus from day one, whether it's surgical or not, I think that's a really important factor that needs to be, I suppose, focused on a little bit more um, rather than just this is your treatment, this is what where we're going with it, this is how we're going to make you better, which obviously is of such huge importance. But I suppose the whole holistic view and what we said before, like the whole body health, both mind and body physically, is so important.
0: Absolutely. And I think I think from our communications, we often focus on the cancer cells. Uh, and I think uh, I think we're all part of a movement now to focus on, on on the person. And I suppose against that. Yeah. Now, I know it's difficult to be prescriptive to a wider audience, um, Susan. And But what are your most important things that people who are listening now can do for themselves from the perspective of, you know, that nutrition and what they eat and, and their levels of activity or movement to maybe give themselves a bit of an edge or an advantage um, to, to take advantage of the, the, the great treatment that they uh, they might get. And I suppose, particularly after treatment, as they move through recovery.
2: Yeah, I think I think there's lots of things they can do, and I do apologise, Neve. You're quite right. I do focus on surgery quite a lot. That's sorry. Oh no, Me no, bad.
1: That's, no. That's your that's your that's your job. So that's That's job. We want Susan.
2: We do. On the yeah, surgery, yeah, we want so you so focus on okay, the okay. surgery, Susan.
1: hundred percent.
2: Good. I'll focus. I'll focus. Um, but I think I think you're absolutely right. All of what we're talking about is relevant to any treatment, and I guess um, not so much that chemo and radiotherapy is overlooked, but also palliative situations. So patients that maybe aren't on a curative pathway i think prehab and rehab is a lot to offer them we shouldn't forget about them Um, they might even be frailer perhaps and that's why they're on a palliative pathway so yeah prehab for everyone and and maybe even
0: nervous i think some of the research we're funding indicates that both clinicians and individuals can feel nervous about these things and when they're advised well we we are the research seems to be showing that actually they can be more active and, and without risking their wider health
2: Yeah. And I think we're all just very nervous of making things worse, you know, as clinicians, we just kind of want to help the patient. And as you say earlier on, there's no magic beans for diet, nutrition, exercise, but I think you just have to spend a little bit of time. And I guess this is what Ruth does, where you just work out what's important to the patient. Here's your three areas. Here's your psychological one that we'd like to talk about, nutrition, exercise or activity and then just break that down into little chunks and find out what they think is achievable because they've got so much I would imagine to deal with. That the last thing you want to do is make them feel that if they don't do prehab and they don't achieve certain outcomes that there's a failure aspect before they come to the first treatment. That's not what this is about. It's about providing opportunity that hopefully they can take advantage of for them and get better outcomes that we mentioned earlier on. But yeah, you just it's a lot, you know.
0: So if if we if we were doing a, a kind of a bullet list now, so again, if we use me as the example, and 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 let's say we've had that follow up visit, you're reasonably happy. I'm you know I'm healing up. What are the kind of takeaway bullet points that that I might want to kind of focus on then? And, and bearing in mind that you know I I, I might be youthful and energetic <laughs> like Neve, or you know I might be in my mid to late sixties, and you know I might be sort of. Feeling that the body's in need of a service anyway, and that you know, I, I, my expectations might be, you know, a little bit more rounded mm-hmm. as a result. So, what would you be saying to me in that sort of those those follow up conversations?
2: Um, I would give you kind of a rough outline that you can change the way those three aspects are and that we're here to help you. So let's say Niamh you mentioned that the psychological aspect was important to you so I would make sure that you spent a bit of time with the CBT train so cognitive behavioural therapy train group that we have and I would make sure that that was in place for you if that was important to you from an exercise and activity point of view if you're already up and about and active and hitting your 150 minutes a week of activity, 75 minutes of intense activity then I might just try and support you through that time and again say to you this is the whole point of you know you've had a diagnosis don't step back you can still do this you were doing this the week before you got your diagnosis so we can support you through that but then if it's really basic people that haven't uh, exercise or bring in a basic program so you would get respiratory exercises with incentivized spirometers. So they're called birdies, but basically you blow in and the ball goes up and you get stronger and that reduces your chest infection pneumonia rate. Dead simple, but there's something there. And then squats. If you've got stronger legs or even getting up out of a chair, you can imagine how much better you will be at recovering from surgery if you just do simple exercises like that every day that will get you out of bed and minimize any other kind of complications that can occur. So it's really about targeting what the patient wants nutrition wise we're back to colorectal you probably just want a general healthy overall diet unless there's something specific because I say many people don't come in malnourished now because screening programs are good and GPs are very good at picking up stuff
0: Okay, we're, we're coming to the, the end of our time unfortunately and, and we could extend this podcast into a two or three hour episode I think we'd have great fun with it but <laughs> we, we do need to keep an eye on the clock but finally Neve, we can't leave without chatting about some of the great public and patient involvement you've been doing with the Irish Cancer Society um, and what has the experience been like for you and perhaps you might tell us maybe some of the things that you've been involved in.
1: Yeah absolutely um, yeah I've been involved in the PPI uh, involvement um, panel it has been fantastic I got involved in it back in 2019 when it was launched and yeah basically I, I when I got diagnosed I kind of or after 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 my treatment, I kind of wanted to do something that I could help, and I didn't know what I want what I needed to do or what I wanted to do, and that's why I started my blog that that you guys mentioned before, and um, to kind of show the kind of journey after treatment. And then I was like, okay, this this opportunity came through my local cancer support center in Graystones, and I just thought that research, like ground level, grassroots, uh, kind of helping to make change from the bottom up was just a really exciting way to get involved and to kind of give the layperson's voice in such an important area. And the, the one of the things I love about the, the PPI panel is that its main focus is to get involvement um, in research being done with and by people with cancer instead of two and four people with cancer. So your survivors, your patients, your families are really getting in there at the heart of the research, which I really like. So I've been involved in it um, for the last three years and we have um, awarded the Social Nursing Allied Health Stimulus Grant to um, Dr. Simon Dunn back in 2019. And he worked on increasing the quality of life and reducing distress in people um, and their families with lung cancer. In 2020, then it was awarded to Dr. Alice Le Bonyak, and she is working at the minute on an intervention to increase bowel cancer screening uptake in Ireland because it is one of the lowest screened um, cancers in Ireland. And that she actually just started that this year. And then this year, then I'm actually just in the middle of the review process um, for the grant, uh, the, the SNAH grant scholarship grant this year so we're actually in the process of going through the applicants at the minute so yeah it's a really exciting piece to brilliant, be involved brilliant. in yeah yeah
0: no and, and and we really do appreciate it it's great that that you're speaking positively about it and having that impact and i think all of those areas Will be, will be important. Susan has even called out the importance of some of them. Um, so time is against us. So I just want to finish up by saying a huge word of thanks again to our special guest today, um, Neve Fortune and Dr. Susan Moog. really appreciate your time uh, in talking through these topics. Thank you so yeah, much. Thanks much.
2: It's been a pleasure.
0: Th- thank you, guys. If any of our listeners would like to find out more and support the vital research funded by the Irish Cancer Society, you can visit uh, www.cancer.ie. And remember to keep an eye on our social media channels for new podcast episodes and let us know your thoughts using the hashtag decoding Anyone who would like help or advice on any of the topics we've touched on today can contact our dedicated Irish Cancer Society support line on free phone 1-800-200-700 or email supportline at irishcancer.ie, that's supportline at irishcancer.ie, all one word, um, to speak to any of our specialist cancer nurses. And next week, we'll be delving into the very different but interesting topic of just how our canine companions are helping us unlock the secrets of skin cancer for human beings. I hope you can join us then and bye for now.